I didn't see you laugh, so. <laughs> well, you said I'm, I'm afraid of elevators. I'm taking steps to avoid them. But we covered that, like, many times we've seen that. Mm. We've never said it on the podcast, though. You matter unless you multiply yourself by the speed of light squares, then you energy. <laughs> wow. okay so i guess you're just going to say i'm tom huh yeah two horses walk into a bar which is funny because you think the second one would have seen it Mm -hmm. Uh (laughs) there they have my joke that was cute you can plug it in later i like that one a horse walks into a bar bartender says why the long face the horse says because i think my alcoholism is driving my family apart wow that's deep. <laughs> Just don't. You know what it's Okay, got. I need to bring this down a little bit. Then do so. Oh, well, look at that. Ooh. You have the power. I it, told you I moved that one over there. Oh, yay. Okay, now I'm happy. Microphone technology at its best. Darn straight. Let me go tell Scott we're ready. I told him like a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Is he going to wait the full couple minutes or? I'm guessing. <laughs> okay, we'll, do, we'll sit in here and uh, give me lead-in material. Ow. Clunk. Oops, sorry. So how's what? life? How how is your pin trading? I don't pin trade anymore. <coughs> well, you brought in all your pins the other day. Though. I did, but that's basically my collection now. Oh. I've gotten rid of. I sold all the traders. Mm-hmm. See, there he is. I still, my dragons and are still he here. No, they they're at the house. Oh, where'd you take? Where are they at the house? I think they're away. In, they're inside the white box at the house. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. my Marcel, my... Your Marcel Sleeker commemorative yeah. uh, dragon sheet? Yeah. No, it, it wasn't Marcel. Marcel yes. gave the, the baseball stamps. It wasn't it, Marcel Marceau? It was, <laughs> yeah, and, he, and, and some, uh, some the China <coughs> Chinese dragons. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there's some for Evelyn and there's mm. mine too. I know because I have Max's Azerbaijan mm. chicken stamps. I, I get dragons from Marcel's. <laughs> yes, that is true. Uh-huh. Two Plural. Mar- the, the multiple Marcells mm-hmm. in your life. Marcel squared. You know why Scotsmen wear kilts? Why? Sheep can hear a zipper a mile away. <sighs> oh. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm going to edit that one out or not. <laughs> I know it's a bad one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The best part was is... The time I told that to Jeff, who was playing bagpipes in a bagpipe band at the time <laughs> and had never heard it. Ah. So it was a guy who was running around wearing a kilt all the time. Mm-hmm. I was very surprised at his level of <laughs> brokenness when I told him that. He lost it. He almost fell on the ground. <laughs> and this this day in history is I fixed them all so it's not on this day in history a couple days ago or yesterday or whatever mm-hmm. on this day in history last week yeah <laughs> we we will we will be addressing enough questionable things in this podcast mm-hmm. yes a highly politically incorrect section coming up get warning the, to everybody <laughs> get the air raid siren ready yeah <laughs> great It's a hell of a siren. Yeah, that is. 
My I'm, headache <laughs> thanks you. I'm going Ooh. to use. I'm going to use that. Oh, then you. Well, then it'll really love this one. Yeah. Oh no! You should have been. Whoa! That was a cool one. Well, that was a good one. I now, like you, that. You have the explosion, or you have the, the firing. R, the RPG explosion. Yeah, you have the firing. I've never played that. Oh, it, I saw a great YouTube yesterday. Do you know who Brian Suits was? Or is? <coughs> I was going to say was. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> My regrets to the suit. No. Uh, Brian Suits is a guy on KFI who is a military person, and he was showing RPG and... Uh, uh, tow missile launches. He was showing something on radio? Cool. No, on uh, YouTube. <laughs> and it was really pretty amazing, the stuff that was, you know, warfare, real warfare is a whole lot different than uh, movie warfare. Oh, yes, it is. By a well, if, long If you want to watch something like that, then go after um, YouTube videos of uh, AC-130 gunship, Spectre gunship. Yeah. yeah. They have one of those in action. Yeah, I've seen those because those always have cameras on, but you don't always have a guy filming an RPG when it's shooting a tank. Anyway. Not are, live, generally. Are we ready to count it down? Who's we? You, you know, actually, we have some Brian Suits material in this podcast, too. We do? Yeah, we, uh, at the end, we say thank you to the Dark Secret Place. Yay. Yeah. Guys, if if you're interested in military stuff, Brian Suits is the dude. Yeah. Yeah, and that last video, he had a pretty epic beard going on, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Five, four, three, two, one. Eight forty-four. Okay. If you want to write that down. I am right now. Okay, you have to edit this out. <coughs> For some reason, something is bothering me in here. I'm sorry, I'll leave. Not you. <laughs> Cash, get out. <laughs> Bad Scott. <laughs> Did it come out your nose? No. <laughs> Darn. But it probably would have helped. <laughs> Darn. That's what I was going for. I know you were going for that. Okay, count it down. It would have been funnier if it was this. Well, probably also would have been more likely. <laughs> and more painful. Which would have been funnier? If you're going to drink that here, you may want to open it before we really start. Just saying. You're right. Probably should. For those of you who can't see through the radio, it is Perrier gra- uh, pink grapefruit juice in a can. No, it's mineral water. Or mineral water in a can. But it's in a little, like, Red Bull can. So how much is that sucker? I, I get it by the 10-pack, and I keep it in my office. $800. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think I had a 10-pack for like... It's fizzy water. Three bucks. Oh, a 10-pack for three bucks ain't bad. No. Yeah. Considering That's a lot of that is... Water. Uh, fizzy water. Mm-hmm. CRV. Yeah, that's a good point, that's too. That's true, yeah. Welcome to California. Mm-hmm. And everywhere else. Yeah. I mean, look. Look at the top here. The whole list of states on there. Yeah. yeah. Charge yeah, all the initials. The recycle value. Mm-hmm. It's Nevada on there. Yeah, that's. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask that. Yeah. Is Nevada there? Yeah, I think so. Uh, when we move to Nevada, do yeah. we get to save a nickel? Maybe. No, they'll have other ones that are specifically marketed to Nevada. You may, you may as well erase 843 right now. <laughs> right. Yeah, do the countdown again, then give me a new number. Uh, we don't have to count it down again. You could just say, I could just give you a new number. Yeah, count it down. Makes my life easier for editing. 
wouldn't want to do that. This is David Kugel from Kelleher Auctions, and you're listening to Stamp Show here today. The most exciting informational service available within the Philatella community. Look at them, madam. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. This is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales. Rupert, what are you thinking of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years I've wasted collecting stamps. Oh, like stamp collecting. Now, that's all right. That's quite a nice hobby, that. Yes, but it's not enough. Don't you understand? I'm lonely. I'm so terribly lonely. All right, Homer. You beat those stamp Nazis with good old-fashioned American complaining. Oh, if it weren't for you, we'd be at the mercy of weekend philatelists. You know, why didn't you just say stamp collectors? Because I'm tired of dumbing myself down for you. From Spain and two from Japan. I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan. I got a plenty from Poland, but none from Sudan or from Fiji or Uzbekistan. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together. Welcome to Stamp Show Here Today, episode 110. I'm Cash, and I have come to the conclusion that bipolar magnetic reversal theory explains all of this. Wow. Uh-huh. I'm Scott. Did you hear about the Italian who died? He passed away. <laughs> this is Tom. The day Cash writes me a good joke, you'll hear it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I'm your host, Dawn. And I have unfortunate news for all of you. We've uh, run out of the half-price margaritas. <laughs> Anyways. Hence the grapefruit Perrier water. <laughs> yes. This week, we will be discussing how to be a successful fur trapper, a stunt pilot, the benefits of eating liver, and printer's waste. Wow, this uh, compared to last show, this is going to be much better, or maybe worse, or maybe the same. And or most likely worse. <laughs> and other than the last one, I can't see how this relates to stamp collecting. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang on, Scott. We're getting there. We're going we'll to get see. there. We we'll will see. get there. We'll get blame, Enjoy the ride. Blame the producer. Yes. On this date in history. On January 26, 1892, 125 years ago yesterday, Bessie Coleman was born. She was an American civil aviator. She was the first woman of African-American descent and the first of Native American descent to hold a pilot's license. Born to a family of sharecroppers in Texas, she went into the cotton fields at a young age, but also studied in a small segregated school and went on to attend one term of college at Langston University. She developed an early interest in flying, but because neither African-Americans nor women had flight school opportunities in the United States, she saved up money to go to France to become a licensed pilot. Coleman quickly realized that in order to make a living as a civilian aviator, the age of commercial flight was still a decade or more in the future, 
she would have to become a barnstorming stunt flyer and perform for paying audiences. But to succeed in this highly competitive arena, she would need advanced lessons and more extensive repertoire. Returning to Chicago, Coleman could not find anyone willing to teach her, so in February 1922, she sailed again for Europe. She spent the next two months in France completing an advanced course in aviation, then left for the Netherlands to meet with Anthony Falker, one of the world's most distinguished aircraft designers. Mm. Yes, she was taught by Anthony Falker. This is women in history, though. So she went to Falker U? She should have been taught by Anthony Falker's mother. Who, what was her name? We all just called her Mother Falker. That's the part where you put the crickets in. She soon became a successful show pilot in the United States and hoped to start a school for African-American flyers. She died in a plane crash in 1926 while testing a new aircraft. Her pioneering role was an inspiration to early pilots and to the African-American community. The U.S. Postal Service issued a 32-cent stamp honoring Coleman in 1995. The Bessie Coleman commemorative is the 18th in the U.S. Postal Service Black Heritage Series. Yeah, it's Scott number 2956. It shows uh, a young lady wearing, a, actually, if, looking at the picture, you wouldn't know whether it was a boy or a girl, but underneath it, it says Bessie Coleman, and she's wearing uh, one of the old-timey flight caps. That looks like a woman. It totally looks like a woman. Oh, uh, okay. I. You've been in California well, too long, Cal. You know, it's a, it's a black and white picture, so it really doesn't show much detail of anything. But anyway... So uh, she was a highly successful stunt pilot. Stunt pilot, mm-hmm. taught by Mr. Falker. Well, just the fact that she was a woman, African American, Native American, and was still able to get a pilot's license back in that day is amazing. Yeah, but it was from the French. Yeah, because she couldn't do it here. Well, she died in a plane crash. Yes, she did. Uh, How many pilots back then did? Not as many as you might think. Quite a few, though. But but was it? Well, did yeah, she but die some, of, some of them had to practice and crash eight or ten times before they died, though. Yeah, mm. but did well, well. This is an interesting one because um, there was a wrench left in the control panel, and so she left. She went into a spin, and it was a practice flight, right? Yeah, they they were working out the bugs in this aircraft. And, well, what she forgot to do was put her seatbelt on. So. Well, no, she she put didn't put her seatbelt on on purpose because she was going to be wearing a parachute the next day. So she wouldn't be able to buckle up. Right, but the problem is they lost control of the aircraft and she fell out. Yeah, because it went into a spin and she went flying off. Uh-huh, and yeah. So hit, she, hit actually, she actually didn't die in a plane crash. No, she fell out of the plane and died... In a ground crash. In a ground crash, yeah. Yeah. However, the plane, uh, there was a second person in the plane, and the plane still crashed. Yeah. But she wasn't in the plane when it crashed. True. So technically... Technically, it was gravity's fault. Yeah. But there was a plane involved. There was a plane involved. (laughs) Peripherally. 
Mm-hmm. Tell, pe- tell people how you found this one, because I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah. Um, when, uh, yesterday, I was on, um, on the computer, and Google had an animation that um, showed um, um, airplanes around their Google... Yeah, it was like the word Google with airplanes flying. Yeah, and then you just you click the center, and then it came up with you know the picture. You click again, and the story uh, about Bessie Coleman came up. It, I thought it was absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. I'm going to check out those Google animations now to see mm-hmm. what all is. <laughs> you know, it was pretty interesting. Plus, the, the animations themselves are kind of cute. Google Pac-Man. Google Pac-Man. Oh was yeah, one, yeah, I remember yeah. that one. Yeah, there were quite still a few. still there. Oh really? Yeah. yeah? I did it the other day. Really? Have you Googled Festivus? No, I haven't. Do it. Oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, hold on. Uh, Just for cash. Oh, no. Google Festivus. I don't even want to know. <laughs> you can do this on your own time, Cash. Yeah. I'm doing it right now. Yeah. Oh. This is on my time. No, the, the, the Google words up on top. Nope. What what is it supposed to do? He just pulls up Festivus. Anyways, we have things to do and places to be, and it's oh, it's pie time. Where do we have to be? Pie time. Yeah, it's three fourteen. Ah. Huh? Oh, I get it. <laughs> It took about three that, seconds. That made cash, but that made it sound like cash spent a little too much time on 420. <laughs> <laughs> well, if if you're done with, uh, oh, by the way, Fokker, you want to tell people who Fokker was just so that they know who we're making fun of. Well, who doesn't know who Fokker is? Well, we already talked about it, right? He's an aircraft designer. Yes. Well, he's more. He he was not just an aircraft designer. He was a really, really famous. Well, yeah, he's the one that built the Red Baron's triplane. Look at the left side of the screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he did. We did a Google search on Festivus, and on the left side of the screen, there is a Festivus poll going all the way through all the search. Items. It looks just like yours. It it does. Mm-hmm. But now, Cash, you have something. I do. I have a this day in history too. Mine is uh, yours was very politically correct. <laughs> Mine is uh, maybe a little lacking thereon. There's a surprise. Yeah. Uh huh. This day in history. Uh, well, this day in history a couple days ago, on January twenty first, nineteen hundred. 117 years ago, a legend of the West, Jeremiah Johnson, died in the Westwood Veterans Home in Los Angeles, California. Did anybody here see the movie Jeremiah Johnson, the Robert Redford movie from 1971? Uh, nope. No, really? And I may have. have if I things? did, I don't remember it. It was so long ago. Oh, you guys well, missed legend, that. Legends of the West. And, 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 and what does this have to do with stamps? Well, okay. I'm going to jump to another guy real quick. Uh, On the Legends of the West sheet that Tom just mentioned, the top center guy, he uh, looks like a fur trapper wearing like a beaver hat. Um, His name was Jeff Bridger and, uh, well, kind of spoiler, I'm sorry, Jim Bridger. And uh, he was a famous fur trapper. No relation to Jeff Bridges? 
This is Jeff Br- Jim Bridger. You know, <laughs> is that I, where you got confused? Yeah, I'm going to start saying Jeff Bridger throughout this entire thing now. No, it's Jim Bridger, and he's the top dead center dude on the Legends of the West sheet. And it, it, it's interesting because you look at the Legends of the West sheet, and you recognize pretty much everybody. You know, it's like Annie Oakley and. Uh, you know, all these guys. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's a, but you know, Geronimo and all this stuff. You you know who everybody is. And then you see Jeff Bridger top center. Too bad the guys designing the stamp didn't know who everybody was. Interesting fun fact. Mm-hmm. On the press sheet for the Legends of the West, on one side of the gutter, you have Abraham Lincoln. And on the other side, you have... Jefferson Davis. Jefferson Davis. Mm. Exactly. So when you get a gutter pair from the press sheet, those are the two stamps you get with the gutter pair. Except that's not the Legends of the West sheet. Oh, you're right. That's the Civil War sheet. That's the Civil War sheet. (laughs) Ah. That's very different. Yes. No, the Civil War sheet and the Legends of the West sheet look like each other. Oops. Um, But the Legend of the West sheet, you know, like I said, Jim Bridger. And, oh, uh, an interesting thing. He's the one. There were two guys who left Leonardo DiCaprio to die in the snow. In the Revenant? In the Revenant. Well, not real life. You know, (laughs) Jim Bridger was one of the guys who left the Leonardo uh, DiCaprio person to die after the bear attack. And uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's name in the movie was Hugh Glass, and they called it the Hugh Glass Affair. Anyway, Jim Bridger and Jeremiah Johnson both traveled together as trappers. So they, I can see that they wanted to put some fur trapper up there, but they couldn't put Jeremiah Johnson on, and I'll tell you a little why. Uh, so a little backstory. Um, Jeremiah Johnson. Is it Johnson or Johnston? It's, it's actually John. It's actually both. Um, when he, he was Johnston, when he left, because he wasn't born that name, he ran away supposedly from the military and he changed his name to Johnston, but then later on dropped the T. So Johnston and Johnson are both correct, but his, his, uh, he was also known as Crow Killer Johnson and, uh, spoiler alert, he killed a lot of Crow Indians. As a yeah. matter of fact, a whole lot. Uh, he basically went to war with the entire Crow Nation. Uh, at one time, the Crows sent a war party of 20 warriors after him, and none of them came back. And he was also called Liver Eater Johnston because in Indian culture to finalize a revenge killing, you, well, liver eater Johnson. So did he have that with uh, fava beans and a nice Chianti? I, I'm guessing maybe. So so here's how the story goes. He got a wife who was a flathead, and that's not a derogatory term. That's the name of her tribe. And uh, he went off in the wintertime to hunt because... In the wintertime, animals have their thickest pelts. So that's when you go out hunting. So he left his wife behind. And he came back in the springtime. 
And he left his wife with plenty of food and everything. He came back in the springtime and his wife was killed. And he also found out at that time that his wife was actually pregnant and their unborn baby was killed also. So in the movie, he gets a kid from a, a kind of crazy pioneer lady. That actually never happened. What happened was it was his own kid. And so uh, the Crow Indian, uh, Crow Indian War Party had killed his wife and his unborn child. So he went on the war path against the Crow Indians. Well, the interesting thing is a couple years later, an Indian tribe captured him. They gave him to, uh, they tied him up and everything to give him to the Crow Indians for a reward. And they had tied him all up with leather and leather straps and everything. He chewed through the leather straps, snuck out, and there was a guard outside. And he punched the guard in the nose and knocked him out, pulled out the guard's knife, cut the guard's leg off at the hip, and then used the guard's leg as a weapon to beat his way out of the Indian camp. And I, you know, I kind of picture that being, uh, hey, get away from this guy. He's weird and he's got a leg. <laughs> so anyway, it's the winter time. So he's going back home. It takes like, it's 200 miles away. He eats the leg on the way. So the leg is like his weapon plus his snack. Snack. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he gets, he gets back. He, and uh, years later, he makes peace with the crow. He actually calls them brothers and stuff like that. So he he's happy. Uh, later on, he joins the Union Army as a sharpshooter. And that's why he is able to go to the veterans home. And that's why he dies in the veterans home in Los Angeles in the year 1900. So that's the story of Jeremiah Johnson. And I don't know why they didn't put fighting your way out of a town with a human leg into the movie. But that was cool. And that's why I think it's hashtag stamp worthy Jeremiah Johnson, not Jim Bridger. Is that where this term eating crow comes from? I know. (laughs) I don't know. You know, we don't. I guess those weren't crow Indians. Don't tell your kids, though, because uh, now every time you feed them liver, they're going to be going, oh, whose liver is this? Whose revenge it's yours. Are you it's on your plate. You yeah. eat it. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what I tell my kids every time they can't make up their mind for dinner. Oh, so you want liver and onions? All right, cool. Nah. I got to stop at the grocery store first. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, have they an ever, answer. Have they ever had liver and onions? No. So they neither don't ha- even. Neither has their father, and they we're don't not even know, start. They don't even know what it tastes like, and they don't want it. I don't blame them. Because <laughs> you're in the same boat. Uh. Depends on you how it's betcha. made. I, I remember liver and onions. No, it and sometimes it would be dry and some and it would be dry and horrible. And other times it would be like moister. Oh, I hate using that word. Well, anytime my mom made it, it was always dry. Yeah. You soak it in milk first before and then soak you, it in anything. Yeah. It was it was always horrible. Yeah. Every time I had it. Yeah. And the only times I didn't have a choice. Is when my mom served it. <laughs> <laughs> so hashtag stamp worthy liver eater Johnston. <laughs> what else you got, Cash? 
Nope, that's it for me. We have emails. Oh, let's go there. Yeah. We get emails, so summon the answer squad. So, this is from Bob. There are stamps with errors that are very valuable, him for Jenny. But I have seen stamps for sale from places like Ethiopia and Somali Coast with blank or inverted centers, which sell for much less. I have read that these stamps are printer's waste. Can you tell me the difference between printer's waste and a valuable error? Is there such a thing as valuable or collectible printer's waste? Thanks. So, Scott, what's printer's waste? Printer's waste is basically anything that comes from the printer that is not turned over to the government it is marked it is um, well when you set up a printing press to print stamps when you have like multiple stages in the printing process you engage them separately and this so it creates incomplete printings Um, you might not get perforations or die cuts or gumming or anything like that so since since all these things are engaged in stages, all of that material that runs through the press as these steps are being uh, started up, then that is uh, basically destined for the burn pile. It's printer's waste. It's the Mm -hmm. wastage that occurs at some point in the printing process, either at the beginning, at the end, or say maybe a roll of paper that's going through the press tears. Um, that area that's torn plus the repair that they do because they have to stop the press, repair the roll, and then start the press, and then they mark that area that's been damaged as printer's waste. And that stuff's never supposed to leave the printing facility Mm -hmm. except to go to the destruction facility. Now, how that gets out uh, is, well, can vary. Uh, You can have employees that sneak it out, a lot of times they'll stuff it in their pants or under their shirt or something like that, and they'll sneak it out, which is illegal, because technically stamps are legal tender. They have a monetary value. Um, and other ways they can go get out, maybe if the destruction facility is not part of the printing facility, they load it all on the truck and a box of it falls off the truck. Air quotes there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, anything because, you know, somebody's going to make money by selling it to a a collector that wants to collect errors or things like that. So printer's waste is basically stuff that's destined to be destroyed that doesn't get destroyed. Now, sometimes printers will also do progressive proofs or they'll make uh, items. They'll print just a single color. So on a two-color stamp one color is missing, like your center missing or center inverted. And they'll make these things just to play around sometimes or maybe as a special favor to somebody in the government. These things can be made. They're not official issues. Uh, They're still printer's waste. And sometimes, you know, especially South American and some of the African countries, they'll make these things for or imperforates. Uh, they'll make them for government officials as favors. And, you know, 30 years down the road, the government official dies, and now they have his estate. And what do we do with it? Well, we sell these things into the collector market. 
now these things are available. And a lot of times, especially when they're in large quantities, uh, they are printer's waste. They are collectible. They're just not philatelic issues. Uh, the inverted Jenny, on the other hand, is an error. It should have been marked as printer's waste and caught at the printing facility. It didn't. It actually went to a post office, was sold over the counter, and that's considered a legitimate error. So, yes, it's a fine line. You have to determine, well, did this legitimately get sold through the post office as an error, or did it sneak out the back door as printer's waste? And sometimes it's difficult to tell, especially with the more modern material. Printer's waste absolutely is collectible. It generally has a not as uh, the connotation associated with it is not that it's uh, you know it doesn't have the status that an actual error has and a lot of times can be a lot more common such as things from Liberia or some of the countries in South America oh uh, yeah These, there was a there was a story in what the AP I think it was about Liberian uh yeah the president of Liberia visits a bunch of countries and they printed the flags and somebody at the facility ran the flags through upside down just because, you know, and released yeah. it into the uh, philatelic market. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, and sometimes the governments will do that to make money. Mm. Um, they may do it as a limited release and just, oh, yeah, because we felt like doing it. It happens. Or maybe they'll print uh, a center in a different color. Uh, something like that. It Collectible. Printer's waste is collectible. It just doesn't hold the same value as an actual error. It has the cool factor, but not the philatelic value. Right. Now, being able to tell the difference, obviously, uh, catalog guidance is a good way to, a good place to start. Because most catalogs won't list printer's waste, uh, they'll probably footnote it or something like that, or they'll come out and actually say this is printer's waste, this has been shown to have been unauthorized release, uh, whereas actual errors will get catalog listings and will uh, attain that status. Occasionally things get listed and then delisted because they are later proven to be printer's waste instead of actual errors. One that comes to mind would be the 1992 U.S. Colombian souvenir sheets that are imperforate. Those were initially listed, I think, for one year in the catalog as errors, and then they were uh, removed to footnote status as printer's waste after it was shown that they were never sold over the post office. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah, and it and it, you know it killed the value, mm. but it made it made them worth maybe a tenth of what they were if they were actual errors. So, yes, things like that can uh, can happen. Now, as, as I discussed before, a lot of times some of this stuff gets, you know, snuck out the back door, basically under somebody's shirt. And one of the things that is a lot of times common to see on printer's waste are wrinkles. So if you have a, a you know, a block or a sheet or something like that and it's, it looks like somebody left it on the couch and somebody sat on it. You know, th that could be an indication that eh, you might consider that th there's a good possibility it might be printer's waste and it was stuck under somebody's shirt when they 
went through their security check to get out of the building. Um, this obviously doesn't always happen, but it's a it's a flag that says, "Hey, you, you got to look at this pretty close," um, especially if it's the only sheet known or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, or if it isn't a full sheet, if you just have little pieces of sheet. Well, that's possible too. Um, what else can I say about it? Well, he specifically what? brought up uh, Somalia and, or excuse me, Somali coast in Ethiopia. And I happen, I don't know anything about the Somali coast, but I know Ethiopia has in the past issued, let's say, printer's waste, but it really isn't kind of printer's waste. It's, it's stuff that's printed and then the government officials literally go get it and sell it to the philatelic community. So if an official sneaks it out the back door, I'm not so sure whether that's printer's waste well, or just... it's still printer's waste, and it's basically the money that they get from selling is going directly into that person's pocket. Not right, into exactly. The yeah. Not into the government treasury. Right. So they're basically abusing their position in the government for personal gain. Yes. And so, but the, you know, it's kind of a weird line of, it's printer's waste. Well, let's take a U.S. example, the Farley. Secretary Ickes went in and grabbed two sets before they were perforated. Right. And then left and gave one of them to Roosevelt and kept one for himself and busted it up for friends. Would you consider that, you know, I love philosophical questions. Would you consider that printer's waste? Probably it would be along those lines, but it's not really waste. It was actual um they were finished in every way except for the perforations. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's an unauthorized variety that was done as a favor. So when the Secretary of uh, Mines and Forestry of Ethiopia walks into the printing office and but says... But he's not a member a of the Postal Administration of Ethiopia either. Well, Ikes wasn't. He was the Department of Interior. He was also the uh, third assistant postmaster general. He was? I believe so. Oh. Well, actually, that does make a little bit of a difference. <laughs> I would think so. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love that stamp. I, I love the set. I love the story behind it. But, you know, with e Ethiopia, I do know that these things were carried out by officials, sold by officials. The money went into the officials' bank account, not the president's or, you know, or excuse me, not the post office's. So, uh, yeah, I, I understand. What about... Um, oh, you're right. He was a secretary of the interior. Oh, I have his autograph. Yeah, I know you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a couple of the... Uh, I have a couple of large blocks from the Ickes... Uh, it's not a theft. The Ickes carrying out. <laughs> Actually, I, I don't think he was the one that did it. I think it was uh, Postmaster General Farley's the one that gave it to Harold, Harold Ickes. He pulled the sheets and gave it one to Ickes and one to yeah, Roosevelt. One set to Ickes and one set to Roosevelt. Right. So Ickes didn't actually go in and pull those and give them to Roosevelt. That was actually Postmaster uh, Farley, and then, which is why they're called Farley's Follies. Because right. Farley was actually doing that as favors, which he shouldn't have been doing. But no. he was the Postmaster General. And, I mean, Postmaster General walks into the Bureau of Engraving and Printing and says, give me two sheets. What are you going to say? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, I love it because after that no. occurred, 
you know, then the philatelic community said, hey, I want some too. And then Farley said, okay, fine, run the presses, generate a bunch of imperforated ones and give them out. Fun fact, Harold Ickes was the, the Harold Ickes we're talking about was the father of Harold Ickes, White House Deputy Chief of Staff for Bill Clinton. Well, as far as printer's waste, what about things like um, there's U.S. stamps that are printer's waste that were like reperforated? Was that coils? Oh, yeah, the printer's waste issues. Uh, the uh, Washington Franklins are specifically are, called printer's waste. No, they're not printer's waste. They're, they're well. But they're called printer's waste. Yeah, they're, they're coil wastage. And, and the reason they were wasted is because the centering was so poor. And then what they did is they decided that during the war they needed to save money. So instead of burning it, they sent it and made them fully perforated and sold them over the counter to save money. So it's, it's uh, yeah, it's printer's waste that never made it, that instead of going to destruction, they repurposed mm-hmm. and then issued. Yeah, in World War One they were very dollar conscious. Absolutely. Uh, what was the uh, two-center number five, 17, no, four, se- four. There's a bunch of them, 439, four, uh, no, 530, no, no. 539, well, 539, 540. The, the Perf 11. the the two center that only occurred on the lower left pane that's 519 519s yeah tell them the story about 519s those are interesting but that's not printer's waste that those well they were going to get burnt uh well what happened was uh the government at that time issued imperforate stamps to the private printing and to the private printing companies well, what they would do is they would ship it to the general post office, and the post office would sell them to the private companies locally. So these particular sheets were imperforate, and there was a whole you know big stacks of them, and they were in, sitting in the New York post office going nowhere because the private perforating companies went out of business. They started using government coils in, instead of making their own out of the strips. And so since the government was making them, they could acquire them cheaper than making their own and paying the cost of that. So when the post office found those, they shipped them back to Washington and had them perforated using the current perforating, which was different from when the stamps were actually manufactured. And so that's how you get that particular variety. You get the double-line watermark with the Perf 11 perforations on it where and it says at the bottom then these just happened to be that they only came from the lower left panes of the big the well they would they would have been sheets of 400 cut into panes of 100 and these were all from the lower left corner of those large sheets because mm-hmm. they had already been packaged as panes of 100 but if the uh, post office hadn't been so strict with their money they would have gotten these back and said, "Oh, this is the old design," and just burnt them or thrown them away. Well, if it was well, but it wasn't the old design. They were still no, 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 using that the, design. No, no, no. They were just not using that watermark. No, they were. This is the two TWO yeah. cents instead of the two in the corners. Yeah, they they had stopped using that a oh, decade before, I think it was seven or four oh seven. Yeah, yeah. So. You know, under normal, the story goes, and who knows really, but they say that the story goes that if 
they had gone back under normal circumstances, they would have said this is an old design well, and scrapped them. Well, but it was similar enough to the design that they had with the numeral tool instead right. of the TWO <laughs> that they that they just processed it that way. But yep. um, yeah, today they would have just gone in the in the burn bin. And just as a note to uh, collectors out there, when you buy them, always check them really hard. Get a cert is obviously best, but always check them because what percentage do you think we've seen that are fake? Uh, the percentage of uh, Scott number 519 that I see with fake perforations is probably a 60% or more. Yeah, I would say I, was, I would definitely say it's higher than sixty percent, probably closer to seventy-five or eighty percent. Yeah, I was going to say about seventy-five percent, and um, <laughs> because it's there's a large monetary difference in value, and I mean I've I've even seen you know plate blocks and things like that with fake perforations. Yep, fun stuff. So anyway, back to uh, printers waste. Anything else? I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I think that normally people see printer's waste from uh, Caribbean countries. That's where I tend to see it from. You see a lot from like Granada and Grenada, excuse me. Well, those are more Cinderella's, not printer's waste. Eh, a lot of them You are, see a lot of Cinderella's from small countries or countries that don't exist. Well, you know, um, no, but mm-hmm. I saw some from uh, Michael pr- Jackson. Printer- and they said, if you buy um, 100 of these sheets... We'll throw in an imperforated one. Well, that's just somebody who got a hold of some, yeah, some printer's waste, and was doing a well. This was from promotional the, deal. No, no, this was from the uh, the postal administration of the country. And so you okay. know they they were taking the printer's waste and saying, uh, buy this and we'll give you an extra sheet of printer's waste. Yeah. Well, so it's a marketing thing. Yeah. So anyway, from what I've seen, they look cool, but yeah, they they don't have overly great values. No, they kind of do equate to Cinderella's, except they're issued stamp designs generally, mostly in the colors of the issued stamps. Um, another great uh, another great printer's waste uh, stamp would be the postcard rate H stamp. The, oh yeah, the yellow hat. Yes, yes, yes. The yellow hat stamp. That's a, that's another great printer's waste stamp that's footnoted in the catalog. That um, fell off the truck, basically. Somebody, more than likely, somebody sold a sheet early, before it was determined that that stamp wasn't going to be issued. It got out there. Somebody got it and used them, and uh, most of them are from Indiana. Yeah, they, when they're used, these were. Uh, Mostly sent from a coin collecting company. The Greencastle, Indiana, I believe it was. Right, right. So, yeah, these were all in the news a good, you know, 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. Yeah, it was a big hoo-ha. They were everywhere. It was a big hoo-ha. I've, se- I've seen big blocks of it. I've never seen a full sheet. Uh, but I have seen big blocks. I've seen, I don't know, lots of singles. I've uh, seen ca- a couple. occasionally see some used ones. Yeah, I've seen a couple used ones. In- but you definitely want the Greencastle cancel on it if you're going to buy a used one. Yeah. So uh, if you're buying a used one, you definitely want to see a certificate of authenticity to verify that the cancel is correct. But uh, buying a mint one of those, it's a little bit pricey. I think they cost uh, over $1,000 or close to $1,000, something like that. Still? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're they're popular enough. 
that there is uh, the supply and demand regulates that uh, value fairly closely. But I, I believe it's over $1,000 for a single. Yeah, so not all printers' waste is cheap. Correct. But again, it's got a good story like the Jenny Invert. Yeah. And that's really what drives interest in value. Well, just to clarify, we were talking about on the 519. Um, I was looking it up. The double line watermarks were the double line watermarks were 1908, 1909, and the 517 was uh, 1917. Five, 519 nine. was 1917. Yeah. So, so like, eight, oh, like, nine, ten years, nine years later, eleven or twelve. Yeah, something like that. Cool. Pull out a calculator. <laughs> I'm getting like Scott. I'm tired. Like, <laughs> I can't math. <laughs> well, when I when I uh, do all the uh, this day in histories, I always pull out a calculator and do the calculation just to make sure. I thought you just asked Lloyd. Right. Oh, <laughs> Lloyd's a walking calculator. <laughs> He's more like an encyclopedia. <laughs> yeah. Are we done here? Looks like it. I think we're done here. Just for you, we're done here. <laughs> Overdone. Overdone. Well done. Mm-hmm. Stick a fork in it. Uh-huh. Burnt even. <laughs> I can't stop this feeling deep inside of me. We would like to thank the following for information used in this podcast. Wikipedia, Facebook, The Things You Should Know podcast, Backstory with the American History Guys, the Dark Secret Place, and Google. We also invite you to check out StampFinder.com, the Bloomberg of philately with great information on the stamps of the world and their values. Thank you for joining us for episode 110. This has been Cash, Scott, Tom, and I'm your host, Dawn. Continue the conversation at Stamp Show here today on Facebook. You can ask us questions, see pictures of the stamps, make comments, and add to the conversation on Facebook. Also, ask the ex. You know, you always mess up on that one. I know. It's hard. Also, you can ask the experts your stamp questions at bluepaper at gradingmatters.com. You can also listen to all of our past podcasts at stampshowheretoday.com, podbean.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And as always, keep collecting. This episode of Stamp Show Here Today is brought to you by the Philatelic Book of Secrets, the book that teaches you about repurse, regums, color varieties, and much more. Get yours for $10 at www.philatelicsecrets.com today. Hi, this is Bob Prager with Gary Poser Incorporated, and we're in Long Island, New York, and New Jersey, and our philosophy at Gary Poser Incorporated is this. We would rather pay very fair prices on 9 out of 10 collections that we look at versus trying to just offer very low prices on 1 out of 2 and making a big score. That's never our philosophy. So if you want to be treated fairly, please give us a call anytime at 800-323-4279. And again, my name is Bob Prager.